from Kurtco Media. This is Cars That Matter. Welcome to Cars That Matter. I'm Robert Ross. This episode, we're continuing our conversation with Freeman Thomas, whose design career included stints with Porsche, Volkswagen, Audi, Daimler, Chrysler. Freeman, let's get right back into it. Chrysler must have been a fascinating place to explore sort of the conductor role, as it were, putting together teams and getting people inspired and excited about your vision. You went from there to Ford, is that right? Yeah, so what happened was I got a call from Jay Mays one day, and he says, Henrik Fisker just quit, you know, because Hen- <laughs> Henrik was running the studio in Irvine at that time. And so he said, I would really like you to take over his role, which was advanced design. And so that was a no brainer for me because I knew a lot of the team there. And so I joined Ford. And at that point, it was North American advanced design which eventually grew later in years to global advanced design, where we had a small studio in London and Soho called Ingenie. We have a studio in Shanghai and also in Dearborn, in the cellar of Dearborn. I retired in 2017. At the end of 2017, I was eligible for retirement. I'm only 62 now. So for me, it was an opportunity really to go to the next level of really what I want to do and work much more entrepreneurially. But I love Ford, love the people there because they were a little bit more fluid. They thought a little bit more out of the box. Chrysler, I think maybe it's different now under Fiat organization, but before it was much more structured. Not that Ford isn't structured. There's so many amazing things that came out of Ford that you have to ask yourself how and why, you know? And A lot of it is that it does allow a lot of the entrepreneurism to go on. And the people are amazing, dealing with leadership and coming up with new concepts and getting feedback and things like that are amazing. And so I still have a great relationship with all of them at at, at Ford. That's an incredible career trajectory. Obviously, I'd love to talk about what your future plans are, your present and future plans. Yeah, well, I consult now. And one of my clients is Roof Automobile. And so I did two cars for them, actually three. Back in between Chrysler and Ford, small break, I did the CTR3 for them. And then I did the new CTR for Alois in Estonia, and then the SDR, which now are getting productionized. Those are amazing cars at the complete far end of the supercar spectrum, and an amazing company that is certainly well-known to Porsche enthusiasts. But roof remains kind of a best-kept secret in the bigger arena. And uh, there's quite a couple of important designs. And they're actually seeing some, certainly the original Yellow Birds, even the contemporary designs, they're seeing a big run-up in some of the recent auctions. These have become very, very collectible cars. Oh, absolutely. And really, the, the CTR has been something that I've talked to Alois in Estonia about, gosh, since the early 2000s. And I think they had to get a lot of other things out of their heads first. Mm -hmm. And finally, the day came, I would sit down with them and I would sketch out a platform strategy for them, you know, using either aluminum extrusions or carbon tub and show how 
you could do a family of vehicles basically by using the same tub. And so the time came where Alois was ready. So I went over there and I started taking body panels and chopping them up and mocking up a concept. And then eventually we got the clay model up and running. And I had a great colleague to work with on that from the past. His, uh, his name is Eric Obers. And Eric is a clay modeler, math modeler, and also very creative in his own right. So it's very great to collaborate with Eric. And so we came up with the idea of widening the door by 30 millimeters a side. And, you know, that, this is scary stuff because you're looking at, it's almost like hot rod territory taking a 32 <laughs> Ford and, and, and changing one millimeter of a line everybody notices. That's and, right. And so we had two things we wanted to preserve with the car. One was that it didn't exceed the overall length of the original CTR and that it was also identifiable as the pure evolution of that car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it's kind of putting my hat back on to Concept One days of really kind of looking at a, an icon in its own right. So we did the 30 millimeters aside, and magically, the original roof, which we flushed out the glass, mm-hmm. and it's the same roof and it's the same glass, except for the rear quarters, which are intakes, And all of a sudden, it made the car look as though that it went to the gym. And you look at an original 911, the doors look anemic. They look too too narrow. You put a little shoulder on them, and they get a little more substantive. Well, yeah, and because we're looking at a vehicle that's about the width of a 959. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we didn't want to look like that kind of width. So by developing the fender flares and developing the front and rear language, which we wanted it to be a pure evolution off of the original CTR. So what we found was little nuances, like for instance, put the original bonnet on it. And now all of a sudden we had room to develop the fender form. So it wasn't pinched against the shut line of the hood. And so now we can make it a little bit more voluptuous and bring it out and blend it into the doors. And now in the back, where the intercoolers were, we had the room for the intercoolers on the sides, where normally we would have had to figure out how to pack that Shoe in. Shoehorn like, those things in, but now you had the extra inch and a half on either side. Right. Like a 993 and 959, where they brought the whole back end out. That's right. And they came back into the, that original door section. And I'm amazed that we never did it on 959, because Helmut Mott did not want to change that door. But I think had he opened it up, it would have been a better car. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, if I think about all the years that I've been around 9-11s, coming from childhood with Jeff Swart, all the way fast forward to working at Porsche, our group, uh, being around the faithful around this thing, but having my own mindset around it, I think the car has created this perfect blend of future, but at the same time, most casual observers would see the one car in one room and that car in another room would not know the difference. That's the magic of great design, continuity. The difference between the two cars is the new car is a full carbon tub with pushrod suspension, the latest in anti-lock braking and traction control and everything else. After we finished driving the car in Lingato in Italy, we drove it all through Italy. I was allowed to drive it all the way back through Switzerland, through Germany, back to Roof and Pfaffenhausen. And I'll tell you, that car's got about 750 horsepower on tap. It weighs about 1,200 kilos. And at high speed, 
and acceleration, the only thing I could equate it to would be a jet. Yet, it's a manual gearbox. That's the best of all possible worlds, maintaining some analog experience, because that's really what makes driving come alive. Well, that's one of the things that I talked to Alois Nestonia about all through the last 15 years, that the experience of keeping the car an analog experience, because the rest of the world is going to a digital experience. Yeah. And there's a backlash coming off of that. And one of the backlashes is that Porsche went all PDK until there was a backlash with their enthusiasts. And they finally decided, well, we're going to do this one thing. It's going to be called the 911R. And we're going to build a limited production. And they're going to have manual boxes. And they sold out immediately. That's right. And so all of a sudden now, they are smart enough to listen to the enthusiasts on one side and say, okay, we're going to come out with manual versions. There's even going to be a manual version of the 992. And they come out with their GT4s. Except for maybe a car like a GT2. RS, which is all about the numbers and it's it's all about the track, right? Yeah, it's different. Being analog is something that still has value today. It absolutely does. That's right. Freeman, I want to talk about Porsche because that's where the passion is probably burns the brightest. I know that when we met way back when you were just about ready to launch into your R group. Talk to us about what the R group is all about. Okay, well, the R Group really started in 1999, but it was really, if you think about the beginning of the 90s, the movement on early 9-11s, especially if you look at Northern California and Southern California, had a lot of friends that were taking early 9-11s, like my friend Raleigh Riso and, and people like that, that created the sports purpose aspect to their 9-11. At that point, early 9-11s weren't that expensive. You could right. buy a 9-11S for about $15,000. That's right. And 9-11T, even cheaper than that. And you can buy basket cases and so forth. And so the sports purpose was really about taking your 9-11 and doing the factory modifications for sports purposes. And so if you go back, my history with it really kind of goes back into the 1960s, growing up in Southern California around 1968, 69, and my neighbor was Jeff Swart. And so Jeff's dad had, uh, I think it was chassis number 35901. It was a dark blue, I think it was Bali blue, and had a black vinyl interior with houndstooth cloth. And by 1968, his dad, had already put 911R wheels on it, lowered the car, taken the original engine out, built a 911S spec motor put into it, had a burst exhaust, had sports seats in it. In essence, it was the movement of making your Porsche 911 better, up-to-date, and the value, you didn't care about the value because it was a used car. That's right. They were all used cars until the 90s kicked in. Yeah. And I remember in the 70s, I mentioned when I was in the Air Force, I'd go visit Auto Farm and places like that. And and those guys were already doing stuff. And so by the 90s, you know, I had a friend, Bob Wake, and Bob had a kind of a taupe colored 911T. And he put a 911 SC long block in it, 46 millimeter Webers, put a 100 liter tank in the front with center fill, 917 fill, early Recaro rally seats in it. And he asked me, hey, you think you could do a graphic design for the car? I go, yeah. So I sketched something up 
because it was this kind of really mouse gray, warm gray. It was kind of, kind of like a stone gray or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but, but, but not as exciting as stone gray. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was much more on the sand side of mm-hmm. stuff. And so what I did was I designed this graphic. This is in the early 90s with fluorescent red bumpers with black delete stripes on it, put shell sticker on the side of each flank, put early Porsche script on the side, really basically brought it into focus because the influence of the early Porsche 907s, 906s, mm-hmm. 917s, the early ones before they got too flamboyant were basically influenced by military aircraft. Right. Uh, you know, If you look at a Navy plane, it would have, maybe it would be all gray and maybe just the rudder in the back would be fluorescent red and it would have their logo on it. And it was very absolute. Functional. You look at the 917 prototype, it would be all white with just the green band on the front that was brush painted on. And so kind of took that approach to it. And by 1999, there was a magazine article in Excellence Magazine about Chris Vargas and uh, his brothers in Northern California. And he had a 69911S, all white. He deleted everything out of it, rally seats and uh, early Porsche script on the side. And I had a 69911E that I had a 28 twin plug in it, and I had early RSR seats in it, lightweight seats, and and started deleting everything out of that. And I thought, wow, here is a like-minded soul. And so I got his phone number from Pete Stout, and I called him up, and I started chatting with him, and we hit it off right from the get-go. And we started brainstorming about this thing. And what we always say is we didn't invent this thing. What we did was we created the forum for it that sort of held this thing in a bowl and made people have a place that would be able to express their creativity and sports purpose. In the same way that the old hot rodders after the war did the same thing in Michigan and Southern California and across America. Right. And Gary Emery started the Mm -hmm. 356 Outlaws. And I was friends with Gary Emery. And so we wanted to do this for the 9-11 group. Sure. And so we brainstormed the name, came up with the name. I designed the logo. I collaborated with a gentleman, Kevin Beard, who started Pelodi Shoes. And Kevin and I were good friends. And actually came up with the name Pelodi for him in my garage. <laughs> he won't tell you that, but... <laughs> wow. <laughs> but anyways, so we collaborated on the logo and finalized it. And that became kind of our shield, our brand, our mark, as you say. And so we put this first meeting together, which was the Muckenthaler Concours, which was in Fullerton. And we had Chris and his buddies come down from Northern California with their early 911s. We had all of our guys from down here. We had already started putting numbers, the early numbers. I think we had about altogether maybe about 12, 14 numbers. And so we came up with this philosophy for the group. And the thought was, again, kind of coming back to Steve McQueen of this idea of the attitude of Steve McQueen. There was this kind of discreetness and humility that that character of Steve McQueen sort of put on. And if you look at all the background of anything that was done with Steve McQueen, whether it was his clothing, the vehicles that were in his movies, the lines that he spoke, it was always edited. And that was what we wanted for our group. And so what we did was we gave Steve McQueen the member number 01. And then at Muckenthaler, we got together 
And we looked at this thing and said, what is this thing? It's a lot of early Southern California hot rod based on it's got to have that look. It's got to have that attitude. And then Porsche Sports Purpose, which was the main part. The, the Porsche, that authenticity of mm -hmm. it has to function, it has to work, it has to make it perform better. It has to do all of that. And the guys and the gals that, that joined our group uh, really were about this. It gave them this, this voice and slowly built. And also at that first meeting at Muckenthaler, we had Milt Mintner showed up. Is that right? And Milt wanted to become a member. And so we, we said, we, we'll give you an honorary membership. What number do you want? And he says, I want my race number, zero, zero. And so, so we gave him zero, zero. <laughs> Hold that thought, Freeman. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as $99 a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra $50 at sign up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robbvices.com. Welcome back to Cars That Matter. I'm Robert Ross, and I'm joined by Freeman Thomas. Now, it's a limited number of memberships, so to speak. Is that right, Freeman? How many numbers? Well, we have 300 worldwide, but there are many more members than that. But there's only 300 numbers. Basically, what has to happen is numbers got to be released before we put in another number. Now, I'm not actively involved personally with the R Grupa. Fortunately, I have a voice and I've been asked what my role should be in the R Grupa. And it's really what I've always enjoyed is being more of a philosophical role and kind of behind the scenes and a voice to kind of architect the group. So it sort of sustains its pureness and its authenticity. And we have members of the group at Porsche in the studio at Porsche that are part of our group. We have many people around the world in Australia and Europe and Asia, part of our group. And it really created a movement way before the things that you see now, you know. Well, that, we'll that, talk about those in a minute because I'm sure you've got some opinions. Yes, you absolutely did plant the flag, kind of preserving the hot rod spirit and keeping the uh, early 911 flame alive. They were such amazing cars. Well, and again, I'll say this again we didn't invent the culture. If you go back into the 60s and the 70s, you look at Vasek Polak. Yeah. You look at Steve McQueen, you look at personal modified cars, you go to the dealerships, you go to owners, especially in Southern California, or you go to Europe and you'll see a period 911 with safari lights on the hood and just purpose. You know, it was there for better lighting, better performance, better handling. And now it's become a look. That's right. Who'd have thought that uh, hood straps and external uh, engine lid hinges would be a design statement now? Yeah, exactly. And every year we have what we call a Treffen. This year, unfortunately, we can't hold it because of the pandemic. So we'll have it next year. And we had Chris Vargas passed away earlier this year. And so that's really sad. Yeah. But the thing is that the strength of what we started together 
will go forward. And the people that we have running our group of people like Ray Crawford, like that, are really strong about not themselves, but about the group. And that's really what it's always been about. And it really goes back when I was at Porsche, I would see somebody like Helmut Bont or Peter Falk or Hans Metzger. I mean, they were so humble. They were so discreet in the background of a conversation, but you knew who they were. You knew what they did, but they weren't taking every photo op. They didn't have to put a sandwich sign on and say, I'm the guy that designed this engine. Yeah. They didn't get into a photo op putting up all black interior with houndstooth cloth. They were the genuine article. And that's all I ever wanted for our group was to capture that. Is there an old 911 in your garage right now? I do. I've had a few. The one I have right now is I've got a 72 side fill 911 tangerine, uh, original paint. I've got deep sevens all the way around with XWXs lowered. It's got early ST seats in it with 380 millimeter factory wheel. It's got a great attitude, sport exhaust. We just came back last year on a loop of California. Just drives like new. What a fantastic, I'm closing my eyes and imagining that car right now. I think, not to bring up a sore point, but I think you and I were at a car show, each showing some cars many, many years ago. And I think you had a Tangerine 911 at the time, but it unfortunately didn't make it home. Sorry to bring that (laughs) one up. But were you able to rebuild that car, uh, Freeman? Yeah, yeah, actually, what we did was I talked to Alois Ruth, and Alois says, let's ship it to Germany. And we shipped the car to Germany. And fortunately, the damage looked worse than it was. So once we took off the fender and the front bumper and so forth, we found that the amount of damage was minimal on the left front. And so what we did was, I had just finished it. I know you did. And being a designer and an enthusiast, it just wasn't good enough. you know. And so when it was at roof, we took it down to bare metal absolute bare metal and I I was able to do all the ST upgrades on the car going through chassis stiffening all of the stuff going through it perfectly done in bare metal and then we decided not to put any undercoat on it including the interior and so it was just satin black underneath with every piece on the car was beautifully restored And then I had R7s all the way around with Dunlop race rubber. I have had an original 911R exhaust that we put on. It came out amazing. And I had that until a few years ago and then had an opportunity to sell it for a good number and decide to sell it and go to the next project. Well, that is fantastic. It sounds like Humpty Dumpty got put back together in a far more interesting and pristine way than it ever existed from new. You know, it's amazing that this mark that we love so much has had so many incredible spirits behind it. Once they leave the factory, they've really sort of only just begun their journey. And that, to me, is what makes the Porsche legacy so very, very special. They really have created a community of enthusiasts and owners and custodians that I I can't think of any other mark that's done that. No, they really are special in that way. And and it's special also because I've fortunately gotten to know some members of the Porsche family and they're very much the same way. They're very down to some of the youngest members that they're car people, they're enthusiasts, but at the same time, they're very conscious of the future and sustainability and environment and 
all of that. It's, it's a very complex mix that really going into a corporate machine doesn't mix well because mm -hmm. when you go into a corporate machine, people are always looking for the bottom dollar profitability and things like that and really not looking at who their customer is. And so Porsche is special in the way that it still listens to the customer, even as it goes into electrification, to get the accolades and the endorsements of some of these people like a Hurley Haywood or Walter Roll or people like that, they need to create a pretty incredible machine. And so they have maybe one foot still in that 9-11 pure world, and they have one foot into the future world. They want to make sure, though, as they go forward, that they are careful not to do it just to be doing it. Because the Volkswagen group is a large group. You have Volkswagen to do certain things. You have other parts of the Volkswagen group, like Skoda or, or Seat, that can do things. Right, names that we don't know in America. And then you've got Bugatti on the other end. So, I mean, they really Bugatti, cross the spectrum. And Lamborghini, you yeah. know, and you, Bentley. Yeah. And each one of those marks needs, they have a little bit of a rotating door of people that go in and out of those places that sort of go around the Volkswagen group. But Porsche, out of all of those groups, mm -hmm. remains uniquely special because it is what it started. Kind of goes, still is what Ferdinand Porsche, he was so much into technology and future and performance and engineering excellence and all of that, and kind of combining that together into an endearing object That's right. you know, or an endearing environment. Or you go into the Porsche Museum, for instance, and it's an experience of its own. You know, it's well done. Um, I go online and I'm looking on one end, I'm looking at the history of something. On the other end of it, I'm looking at the restoration service that will do anything from restoring your whole car all the way down to doing a service on your car or repairing certain parts of it. That's a unique company that will still do that. That's right. It, it reminds me of, I had an amazing technician mechanic who sadly, still alive, still active, but he will only work now for one person, a comedian. And I, <laughs> and I, I found him way before this. And during those years, he would service my 911 me as an enthusiast, and my wife's uncle had a 912 who only bought a 912 new because someone told him it was a better Volkswagen. That's great. And he would take that car with the same amount of dedication and knowledge, and it would come back perfect. And to me, that is that Porsche gene. There's just so many shops and people that have taken it into a fashion area rather than into a philosophy and substance. Well, I think that's really beautifully put. And with that philosophy and that approach, I think certainly the cars and the future of the marker are in good hands. Freeman, one last thing before you go. I like to ask all of our guests, if a genie popped out of a bottle and said, you can have three cars, what would they be? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is such a difficult question because... I look at it always as reshuffling the deck. <laughs> and you're always having to sell something to buy something. These are free, and you not only get a genie, you get three extra parking spaces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the early 911. Love, love, love the early 911. And I think that one of the experiences I would love to have 
would probably be a 67 911S soft window Targa or Coupe. Huh. I love those two cars. I think they'd be perfect. The second car, if I had a more modern car, I love the new Roof or the new Singer. I think I would have something like that. And mm-hmm. Built to my design specs, I would be very particular about how to do details and specking and everything else on those cars. And then the other car is something much more elemental. And I already have one. It's a Caterham Super 7, but an early one. So it's really pure with an aluminum body. I mean, it's bare aluminum and with a British racing green nose and flying fenders. I love driving that car. That is an amazing drive, isn't it? I've had a chance to drive a few of them, and they are absolutely revelatory. Yeah, I think everybody should at one time own a Super 7 because from that point, you reference everything else. And it's you really don't want to drive a car like that on the freeways. You drive it in the canyons. You drive it down the coast. It is about minimalism. Yeah. And, it, and it's about the smallest cabin that you could possibly have, literally. And I just love the, the togetherness that you feel in that car. So, yeah, I think that would make a nice combination of vehicles. I'm always designing something. And I tell you, it, it's kind of like a popcorn machine. Every single day, every single hour, I'll start on an idea and kind of bring it up to fruition. And by the time I bring it up to fruition, I'm bored and I go to the next one. You know, (laughs) So it's the way it is. That's the mark of a true designer. And obviously, you are are one of the few. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is a great trifecta. And it really kind of speaks to a sense of purity that I think the best designers have an appreciation for elemental things, kind of like that whole Dieter Rahm's notion of simplicity and minimalist, no embellishment, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's a magazine that comes out of Japan called Garage Life. Are you familiar with that? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, look it up. And what it is, is it's mostly in Japan, but there are a lot of enthusiasts that have beautiful architectural homes that are very simple. They're not big, but somehow the car is part of the house. Their oh, garage, wow. and the, the, you see different enthusiasts, either Lotus enthusiasts or Porsche mm-hmm. enthusiasts or an Abarth enthusiast. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese are so good at identifying icons and really synthesizing an icon down to the purity of why we love them. Like most of the cars that you see there are stock and original, mm-hmm. and there's a beauty in that. And the house, you'll, you'll see just a simple home done out of concrete with a, maybe a mezzanine above, and you have a, a Dieter Rahm Braun system mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the wall, and you'll have uh, an Eames chair, and just the artwork is just perfect, and minimalism, the lighting is perfect. And it's just about simplicity. And I think life, moving forward, people are going to be reminded about simple things. Right. I think especially now more than ever, the appreciation of less things, but better of them. Yes. 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 <laughs> Quality, not quantity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. This is a really a great conversation. Freeman, we'd love to have you back on the show. There's so much to talk about. I think we've probably just scratched the surface of not only your ideas and your visions about design, but some of your thoughts on some of your favorite cars. Thank you so much. Thank you, Robert. Thank you for having me. Thanks to today's guest, Freeman Thomas, for joining us. 
Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by A.J. Mosley, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross. Thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.